So this is a talk on the skill of being present. One of the ways that we often think about Dharma practice, specifically meditation, meditation practice, uh, mindfulness practice, mindfulness of breathing of body, one of the ways that we often think about meditation, good way to think about meditation in part at least, is that it's a practice of being present. It's a practice in which we learn to meet the present moment, to be in the present moment, to live in the present moment. Now, as we make this effort, as we make this effort, you know, through the breath practice, through mindfulness of the body, as we make the effort to meet the present moment, what we often experience as we come into the present moment is a quality of agitation, some kind of quality of agitation, so or internal dissonance. So as you uh, closed your eyes and began to put the mind on the breath in the service of coming out of the head, uh, if you will, coming out of you know these places of fabrication, uh, you know, the dream that we tend to live in, and into the present moment, the present moment, as you experienced it, may have been uh, afflicted with a quality of agitation. You may have been fraught with agitation. Uh, you may have noticed that. You may not have noticed that. Uh, the agitation sometimes is physical. It's a physical agitation. Uh, it relates to some... Uh, physical affliction in the body, the body's nature. Uh, More often than not, however, the agitation that we experience as we come into the present moment, uh, the dissonance that we experience, is some quality of mental dissonance that we feel in the body largely, uh, some quality of agitation, dis-ease, dis-ease that we experience in the body. What we're going to experience as we come into the present moment is the result of our past karma. So you know, we sometimes have this idea that we're going to come to meditation, and you know, I mean, this is sort of—I mean, we learn pretty quickly. But you know, a lot of times people have this idea that the meditation should be tranquil and calm and pleasant, and then when we start to meditate, we're going to leave our lives and come into this very tranquil life. But really, meditation is just a reflection of life. Uh, But it's a reflection of life that we are experiencing in the present moment. So we're coming to know what our experience is, our human experience is. So as we come into the present moment, we experience the results of past karma. So certainly the physical uh, dis-ease that we experience and the mental dis-ease that you're going to experience and dare I say we all experience it, uh, is the result of your past karma. So, you know, you may be experiencing a dis-ease in the body as you sit down to meditate based on something that happened earlier today, or even on the way over here, or even before the class started. Uh, You may be feeling a dis-ease in the body based on things that have been happening over the last days and weeks. And essentially the dis-ease that you're feeling in the body, if it's physical dis-ease or mental disease, is really the result of a lifetime of karma. So 
know, karma will take its different forms at different times, but uh, what we're going to experience in the present moment is the consequences of our, our actions, our thought actions, our physical, verbal, mental actions, the ways that we've clung, we're going to experience that in the present moment as we come into the present moment. So we're going to experience this quality of dis-ease. I mean, I noticed this a lot over the course of the last number of months with myself, having gone through uh, you know, major life-changing, traumatic-type experiences with my mom passing away and some other things that have happened, and invariably, invariably, as I sat down to meditate every morning, there was a quality of dis-ease. You know, there was a quality of dis-ease that was quite pronounced, uh, perhaps compared to a quality of dis-ease that I might have felt at the same time the year before, because I was experiencing the dissonance uh, in the body, in the mind, uh, in that present moment. I was experiencing it as I came into the present moment. Oh, this is what it's like. This is what the body and the mind are like. So, our tendency or our habit uh, as we come into the present moment and we begin to meet the present moment in its manifestation, which is invariably afflicted with some kind of a disease, our tendency is not to want to be present. Not to want to be present. You know, the mind, you know, sometimes, you know, I could really see it over this year, the mind is going, I don't want to be present. I don't want to be present. I want to get out of this present moment. So our inclination tends to be to want to escape the present moment, to want to get out of the present moment. And of course, it's an inclination that largely unwittingly or unbeknownst to us that we've been uh, developing and and fostering all of our lives. As we come to the meditation, of course, there's, and we experience the dis-ease, and, you know, and again, we may be, you know, the degree which we understand what's happening, you know, sometimes uh, it happens really fast, you know, we sit down, there's dis-ease, I don't want to be here, and then all of a sudden, you find you're somewhere else. And sometimes that happens really fast. I mean, part of why I'm giving this talk and part of what we have to do as meditators is to understand the process, like what's happening, what's happening here. I mean, to sit down and to feel that agitation is not untoward. That's what you, I, you, know, you know, if you're not feeling it, you're not feeling something that's there. I'll put it that way. Uh, so... Uh, you know, as meditators, you know, we're, we're asked to see what's happening. You know, as long as we can begin to start to see what's happening and begin to develop the skill of being present, then we can be present. But if we don't understand what's happening, then it's going to be really difficult for us to develop the practice. So we, by our nature, by our inclination, our karmic inclination, want to escape the present moment. You know, and there's certain ways that we do that. Uh, the Buddha called those the hindrances, the five hindrances. And there's two primary ways. I mean, the hindrances are, in part, qualities that are in the mind that may pull us away from the present moment, and in part, in large part, primarily, they're qualities in the mind that are 
very specifically there in the service of escaping the present moment. So they're defenses, if you will, against being present. The two primary ones are restlessness and dullness. Those are the two primary ways that we seek to escape the present moment. So, you know, as I'm talking here, see if, you know, this relates to your experience. But you sit down, you know, and again, it's all happening really fast, and we may not understand that this is quite what's happening, but this is what's happening. So start to understand that, start to see that, that we come, we sit down to meditate, we try to be present, we come into the present moment, uh, there's a quality in the present moment of disease, of dissonance, of unpleasantness. Uh, we want to get out of the present moment, and one of the primary ways that we seek to escape the present moment is to go off in streams of thinking. So we just start thinking about all different kinds of things. Sometimes they're somewhat germane things about things that are happening in our lives. Oftentimes they're rather uh, innocuous things you know, that we're thinking about, but we go off into these thought worlds. This is what the Buddha called them, thought worlds. You know, the term for it, of course, is becoming. That which is becomes something else. So we're in this present moment, we turn it into something else because the present moment is, you know, so we turn it into you know, Europe or second grade or whatever so that we don't have to be here. I always used to say, you know, my motto was anywhere but here. Anywhere but here. So we engage in this thinking. And, you know, and you know, often, I mean, the degree to which we don't want to be present is pretty correlative to the level of profusion of the thinking. You know, this is why, like, when you go on a retreat, some people are going to be going on a retreat this week, you know, the thinking can just be, you know, just like avalanches and waterfalls of thinking because here you're making this noble effort to be present for four days and the mind is just rebelling and, you know, there's just going to be this profusion of thinking. So sometimes we call this the hindrance of restlessness. It's, you know, the semantic, I don't really... The semantic was always a little confusing for me, you know, to understand what the hindrance is really is thinking, is getting lost in thought worlds. That's the way that we seek to escape the present moment by getting lost in thought worlds. So the hindrance of restlessness, this particular hindrance, is rooted in delusion. Essentially what's happening is we're going into a deluded state. You know, and that's, you know, unbeknownst to us or unwittingly what we want to do. You know, we don't want to be present. We want to be in a place of delusion. So we go into these thought worlds. The other thing that we do is we fall asleep because we don't want to be present. You know, it's usually going to be dependent. Everybody sort of has their own, has their particular uh, trip, you know, the way that you escape the present moment. And we both do both. We all do both. Uh, And to some extent, it's dependent on where we are. If you're a little tired, you know, the mind's going to say, oh, he's tired. The best thing to do to get out of the present moment is to fall asleep. If you have a lot of energy, then you're probably going to go off into profusion of thought into thought worlds. So dullness, sleepiness, uh, you know, I mean, I always say, you know, the level of dullness I get when I'm meditating, you know, the level of sleepiness is like, you know, is, is quite profound. I mean, the level, I've experienced levels of sleepiness, like on a retreat, again, you know, where you're making that effort to be present, that are just like extraordinary. You know, it's like if we could only get this tired when we want to go to bed at night. You know? <laughs> you know, 
so you know, it's like, what's happening here? I'm just, I just go into this somnambulistic state. I mean, it's like you've been drugged. It's like a drugged state. And people have said that. They've come in for interviews. And we experience this in our daily practice. I mean, I know some of you experienced it tonight because I opened my eyes and looked out and some of you were sleeping, you know? I mean, and that's typically how it is, right? You know, those of you who weren't struggling with dullness were struggling with profusion of thinking. Chances are. Uh, so this sleepiness is also a deluded state. You know, it's rooted in delusion. So we go into these deluded states. So the practice and an elemental part of the skill of being present is to see when we're doing this and to understand what's happening, to understand what's happening. So to see that there's this hindrance of restlessness, if you want to use that term, or this hindrance of dullness, and recognizing it as a hindrance. You know, I mean, I'm always big on talking about understanding the subtext, you know, understanding what's happening here. What's happening here is, you know, I don't want to be present, so I'm going into a deluded state. Because, you know, I mean, the strategy is meant to be a strategy where you can quickly label and develop a skillful perception of what's happening. There's the hindrance of dullness. But you need to understand, you know, what underlies that perception, you know. You need to understand what's going on because our job here, what we want to try to do is be present. And what's happening is, you know, the mind is conspiring to take us out of the present moment. So we need to understand that that's what's happening. Once I could kind of understand that that was happening, then I had more of a motivation to start to work more diligently with the hindrances. The base, what I mean, you know, a basic principle in the Buddha's practice is that, you know, if we're making this effort to develop present, to be present through meditation, we have to learn to work with the hindrances or we're never going to get there. And that's basic to the Buddha's teaching. Where the Buddha doesn't say, well, some of you, uh, you know, aren't going to get hindrances, you know. You're all going to have this experience of uh, the deluded mind, and we all have to learn to work with it if we are going to develop the skill of being present, if we're going to come to be present. So we have to see these hindrances, to recognize them as hindrances, and, you know, to have compassion and make an effort to do what we need to do to put that thinking to the side and stay with the breath or rouse energy and stay alert and awake. So this skill of being, you know, this being present is a skill. You know. uh, <coughs> there's nowhere really in the Buddhist teaching where he said, just says, be present. You know, I mean, there's certain schools of meditation that just say, be present, just be present. Yeah. The Buddha knew that that was very difficult and that you had to develop a skill, and he teaches a skill. And we look to practice the skill, and working with the hindrances is an element component of the skill. Now, the heart of the skill is two, is two uh, <coughs> functions, two activities that we engage in two functions, two activities that we engage in in the service of being present. Everywhere where the Buddha talks about being present, he talks about these two things, directed thought and evaluation. Okay, those are the two pieces of the skill. When it's difficult to develop directed thought and evaluation, then we see 
You know, that's, that, that's how we are present. If it's, those aren't working, then we have to look and see which one of the hindrances is, is sabotaging our efforts to be present. So directed thought is quite simple, but very profound. We have to tell ourselves to be mindful of the breath. And you know what that means is you use what's called internal verbal fabrication. You have to fabricate the intention to put the mind on the breath. And then you have to fabricate the intention to keep the mind on the breath. So you have to keep telling yourself throughout the meditation to stay with the breathing. See, they never taught us this, so they would just say, be mindful of the breath, and they didn't really tell us how to do it, so how, you know, so so hard to be present, because I didn't understand the basic tool of telling yourself to be present. Directed thought. Once I started to learn that, amazing. And, you know, that my, my ability to stay present was so much greater. And, you know, and then I started teaching it to beginners, and I found, like, it's like made, you know, a light. I mean, so much different for people who were newer, who just were struggling so much. But, you know, one, you know, I mean, everybody can say, be present, be present. Uh, you have to work with the hindrances, of course. Uh, but, you know, it could just really start to see that, you know, people could really start to stay a lot more with the breath if they were more proactive. You know, so Tom Jeff talks about the meditation being a skill and being proactive. So it's about being very proactive and be saying, mindful of the breath, mindful of the breath, to the degree that we need to. Now we have to understand, you know, the mind doesn't want to be present. So you have to, in a very gentle, you know, we used to talk about having the compassionate voice as you're doing this. You know, in a very gentle, loving, and compassionate way, you have to keep telling the mind to stay right there. The mind will stay with the breath for about two seconds. Then it's going to go wander off. You know? Once it wanders off, you know, it can oftentimes be really hard to get it back. So we're a lot better off if we, we're more proactive and we keep telling ourselves, stay with the breath, stay with the breath, stay with the breath. The second element is evaluation. So once we're able to get the mind on the breath using directed thought, then we look at the breath and see what the breath is like. And... Uh, what we tend to see, what we should see, what we often see, uh, what we're somewhat asked to see, is that there's dis-ease in the breath. There's dis-ease in the breath. There's a quality of uh, dissonance in the breathing. The breathing is somewhat unpleasant. Uh, Because when we sit down to meditate, and we're in this place of agitation when we're coming to the present moment, uh, the breath is going to reflect that. The breath is uh, like really a barometer of where we are. You know, it's like if you really look, you know, of course this requires certain levels of alertness and awareness and concentration, but you know, you really can see what your mind and body are like by just looking at the breath. So the breath is going to be a reflection of the quality of your mind. You know, so if there's a dissonant quality that you're experiencing when you're sitting down, you know, there's agitation, that's going to be there in the breath. So our job is to start to see that. This is how we begin to heal the dissonance. This is the Buddhist teaching for healing that dissonance. Because the Buddha knew nobody wants to be present if the present moment is fraught with agitation. So we get ourselves present to the degree that we can, but we've got to do something about the agitation. 
we don't do something about the agitation, we're never going to be able to develop awareness of the present moment. We're never going to be able to stay in the present moment to the degree that we need to in order to be develop the path or to be present in our lives and make the most of our lives. This was this was what this was the Buddha's great first great insight. You know, this I always say this is where, you know, Buddhism became Buddhism. And he re, the Buddha realized that the present moment had to have a quality of ease and pleasure in it if we were going to stay there. So we need to address the agitation. And the way that we begin to do that is evaluating the breath, seeing the dissonance in the breath, bringing our awareness to it, being the observer, paying attention, attention to the dissonance in the breath. Now, when we pay attention to the dissonance in the breath, the tightness in the breath, the contraction in the breath, we develop a different relationship to it, right? It's a subject-object relationship to it. So we create a little bit of space create a little bit of space. And in that little bit of space, it's like creating just like this moment where, uh, you know, we sort of let go, if you will, of, you know, uh, you know, the mind lets go, you know, just for a moment of, uh, you know, its preoccupations and uh, the body has a chance to self, the breath has a chance to regulate. You create this little bit of space and in that space, the breath can regulate. So little by slowly this starts to happen if you observe the dis-ease with objectivity, with equanimity, with impartiality, with compassion, not with, oh my God, it's so dis-easeful. You know, if you can begin to do that and create that little bit of space, that subject-object relationship, then the breath will begin to start to regulate, which means that the breath will begin to come into an easeful state, its natural state, if you will. The breath's natural state is an easeful state, but it's become diseaseful because of our thinking and our actions. So the way that we begin to heal that is to begin to get that little bit of space and let the breath start to heal itself, really. And the breath will start to become more easeful. So as the breath starts to become more easeful, we cultivate this easeful breath. We cultivate this. We allow the breath. We allow that quality of ease to permeate the breathing. Really, what we're, you know, and I, the, the important term here to me is allowing. You know, we're allowing the breath to self-regulate. We're allowing the body's wisdom to take over. And what will begin to happen is the body will begin to start to breathe in the way that's most conducive to healing. The body's going to self-heal. So the body's going to begin to breathe in a way that's most conducive to healing. So the breath uh, will begin to become uh, the kind of breath that's most conducive to bringing the body back into a place of equilibrium. So, you know, uh, and, and the way this usually, the way this primarily will manifest is in length of breath, in large part. And, in, you know, in particular, uh, long short or short long. I mean, there can be four kinds of breath, and the most conducive breath will manifest. It could be long in, long out, short in, short out, short in, long out, long in, short out. You know, you can play with it a little bit, but the body will tell you what the most easeful breath is. And, uh, you know, it knows better than we do. So uh, uh, it knows exactly what we need. 
you know, contemporary neuroscience has shown how you know the uh, the breath regulates the central nervous system. And we all kind of know that, sort of. You know? So when we're in that restless, agitated state, and the mind is, you know, like that, you know, the uh, sympathetic nervous system is overstimulated. Right. So the way the body brings the sympathetic nervous system into equilibrium is not taking in so much air and letting out a little bit much more air. So it's, you know, it's, a, it's somewhat of a rule of thumb, you know, that when we're in that state, you know, a shorter in-breath and a longer out-breath is usually the conducive breath. I mean, you'll just see that for yourself. I'm just giving you all the backstory. I'm giving you the scientific backstory, so it's not just like something somebody said 2,500 years ago. If we're in that dull state, then the parasympathetic nervous system is overstimulated, if you will. You know, the parasympathetic nervous system is the, you know, the, the, the system that you know, allows us to sleep and the body to go to rest and all of that. So the way we, that system gets regulated, again, is through the breath, by taking in more air and letting less out. So usually when you're dull, you know, the body will begin to start taking more in, air in and letting a little bit less out. So we just allow, through the breath meditation, the body to self, the breath to self-regulate, and as we allow the breath to self-regulate, the body will begin to self-regulate, because the breath conditions the body. So as the breath begins to start to come into equilibrium, the body will start to become into equilibrium. If the sympathetic nervous system is overstimulated, it'll begin to come into equilibrium. If the parasympathetic nervous system is overstimulated, it'll begin to come into equilibrium. So we'll begin to experience less agitation in the body, less dis-ease, more ease, and more of a motivation to want to stay present. Now, okay, well now, maybe I will stay present now that I'm in this place of ease. We're more willing to stay present as we come more and more into the present moment and that ease develops, then pleasure begins to arise. We begin to experience this quality of sukha or pleasure. And as pleasure arises, then we're even more willing to be present. As I said, this easeful breath conditions the body. So one of the ways that we notice that in the meditation is we begin to notice the body taking on this quality of ease and pleasure. And so we move to step three, as we call it, spreading. We go to a full body awareness. We cultivate the flow of breath energy throughout the body so that the body becomes saturated with breath energy. And we, this is when we come into what's known as jhana, these qualities of PT, rapture, flow of energy, and sukha, pleasure. Sukha, pleasure. As the suttas say, Furthermore, quite withdrawn from sensuality, so you're not watching TV, etc., uh, withdrawn from unskillful mental qualities, the hindrances, okay? He enters and remains in the first jhana, rapture and pleasure, born from withdrawal, accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. So I didn't make any of this up. It's right here. So rapture and pleasure, born from withdrawal, accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. He permeates and pervades suffuses and fills this very body with the rapture and pleasure born from withdrawal. There is nothing of his entire body unpervaded by rapture and pleasure 
born for withdrawal. Now, when that quality is developed, when those qualities are developed in the body, when we come into that place of ease and pleasure, then the mind is very willing to stay here. The mind wants to stay here. The mind wants to stay here. You know, in fact, what the Buddha said, at this point, at this point, the mind doesn't want to go to sleep because this feels better. The mind doesn't want to go off into those thoughts because it feels so good to be present, to be in this place of ease and well-being, as the Buddha says. As he remains thus heedful and ardent and resolute, so you stay with it, any memories and resolves related to the household life are abandoned. And with their abandoning, his mind gathers and settles inwardly, grows unified and centered. Who cares about the election? This feels good. Who cares about the Super Bowl? This feels good. Who cares? I'm happy to be right here. This is how the monk develops mindfulness immersed in the body. See, the Buddha understood human nature. He understood that pleasure is essential to our human experience. As human beings, this is just the way that we're made. Without pleasure, without some pleasure, we'll die. We have to have pleasure. So if we don't cultivate a skillful pleasure, the mind won't want to stay present, but of course it's going to look for pleasure elsewhere, right? Freud called that sublimation, right? So pleasure is essential to human experience, to being here. And this is what the Buddha realized. If we were going to be present and stay present, the present moment had to be pleasurable. So this is the skill. This is the skill of being present. We just don't stay be present. Being present is not such an easy thing, right? It requires skill. The Buddhist teachings offer the skill. The skill is very doable. I think everybody can develop these skill, this skill. You have to follow the instructions and make the effort. But everybody can develop this skill. Everybody can develop the skill to be present. You know, it's like we're, we're here for a short time in this life. You know, there's a potential for happiness in this life, but we need to be present. We're here for a short time, and we don't want to miss out on our experience of being alive, being in this life. We don't want to come to the end of our lives and say, boy, I spent so much time off in daydreams and half awake and half sleep, and I wasn't really here. I wasn't really present. If we develop this skill of being present, then we'll be here, and we'll know and be able to develop the potential for a greater happiness, for true happiness in this life. 